0: Good morning, what a blessing it is to be together, so thankful to, to see you, and so I want to just begin by just simply saying thank you, thank you for being here, looking forward to uh, studying for a few minutes together, appreciate Andrew uh, reading that passage for us, so let me encourage you, if you're not already there, be opening your Bibles to Romans 12. We've been looking at the book of Romans for the last several weeks together, uh, going passage by passage, looking at significant words, significant phrases that that we need to really understand. Today we're going to think about the concept of genuine love, as is right there, the very first line in chapter 12, verse 9, let love be genuine, or maybe in the, the passage that you're looking at, the translation you're looking at, it might say, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, what the Lord is impressing upon us here is that our love must be real and it must be seen. Hypocritical love is one thing that I can I can say whatever I want and then my actions would be very different. Disingenuous love would be I can say beautiful things to you and then treat you so ugly. But genuine love is one that the, the mind and the heart and the life all match, and that when you say something about genuine love for the Lord or genuine love for someone else, it's demonstrated in the way that you speak and the way you act. Now, this passage here in Romans chapter twelve is really, really special. it's It's so dense, it's so packed with all kinds of practical information, just line after line. It's a line that we can spend a lot of time with. The way I think about it is this: almost every single phrase here in Romans twelve, you can make into its own sermon. Like in in verse 9, that could be like at least three sermons right there. Verse 10 could be at least two. Verse 11 by itself could be like three more. You get the idea. You get the picture. Listen, I want you to hear it again. This time we're going to read all the way through the end. We're going to read what Andrew read, and we're going to emphasize it, and we're going to go through the end of this chapter. And as we do, I want you to think about how each line we read is so powerful. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, to the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him some to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. And then finally, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you see what I mean? Line after line after line, we could just spend so much time with, so many things that he's saying, here's the way to act, here's the way to be, here's the way to think, here's a way to treat others. And we could really spend a lot of time with that. But what I want us to do is take one step back and just sort of look at a big picture and just see what it means here. Consider what it means that if I have genuine love for the Lord and for others, I will have a clearer view of who I'm supposed to be. I'll have a clearer view of what is to be happening in the world. I have a clearer view of who God is. And so we're going to try and concentrate on this big idea of, of genuine love. You know, the, the great commandments, when Jesus was tested, when Jesus was questioned, what are the, Rabbi, what are the, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He says there in Matthew 22 well, the, the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus would say it this way the greatest law, the greatest command is to love, love God perfectly, love God with all you have and love each other with all you have. In other words, the great command is to display genuine love. So if our love is genuine, if it doesn't have hypocrisy, if it's not fake, we're going to have a a clearer view of, a better understanding of certain things about this life. We're going to start with this right there in, in chapter 12, verse 9. If we have genuine love for God and for others, we're really and truly going to have a, a better idea, a clearer view of what's right and wrong. Now, this is what I mean. Look at what he says there in verse 9. So after saying, let love be genuine, the very next thing that he writes is abhor, hate, be disgusted by what's evil, but hold on to... Cling to, love what's good. So if you look up at verse 2, Romans 12, verse 2, up there he said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, testing and discerning what the will of God is so you can know what's good and acceptable and perfect. So according to Romans 12, 2, the transformed mind can actually discern the will of God and know what's good in God's eyes. The discerning mind, the transformed mind can actually know what's acceptable to God. In Hebrews chapter 5 at verse 14, he says that we are to to train our powers of discernment to be able to distinguish good from evil. That's That's a command from God. You should practice and think and work on being able to distinguish good from evil. And then the next step is not just distinguish good from evil, but hate evil and love good. Genuine love is going to have the right view of what's right and wrong. We can know what God wants from us. We can know what God expects of us. We can know what is true and good and beautiful, and in like fashion, we can know what is false and evil and ugly. And so if we seek God, if we love God, we're going to seek to know these things. If we love others, we're going to seek to share these things. Genuine love stands with the truth and doesn't waver. I think it's really telling, really important. Then he says here, let your love be without hypocrisy. Let your love be genuine. And then the very first thing he says is, hate what's evil and love what's good. You don't love somebody if you indulge their practice of evil. You don't love somebody if you encourage their rebellion against what's true. You demonstrate a genuine love by helping to connect someone with what is true, good, and beautiful. The Lord says, let your love be genuine. Hate what's evil and love what's good. Hold on to what's good. Because we should want to, to hate what God hates and love what God loves. One example of what God hates is in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning at verse 16. You know this passage. Remember, there are six things that God hates. Yea, seven things that are abomination to him. This is what Proverbs 6 says. God hates haughty eyes pride, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among the brothers. God hates those things, and we should too. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, the Bible says, or excuse me, this is Revelation 2, verse 6, to the Ephesian church. So Revelation 2, 6, to the Ephesian church. The Lord says, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, and I do too. God hated the things that they were teaching, the things that they were doing to others to cause them to run away from Jesus Christ. In Psalm 97, verse 10, the Bible says, oh, you who love the Lord, here's what you do. You who love the Lord, hate evil. Psalm 97, 10, there's a command. If you love the Lord, you're going to hate evil. But what about what God loves? We've seen what what God hates. What about what God loves? 2 Corinthians 9 7, God loves a cheerful giver. Psalm 37, 28, God loves justice. He loves it when people are treated fairly and treated rightly. He loves it when people are given a fair chance and an opportunity to to be picked up. Proverbs 15, verse 9, God loves those who pursue righteousness. And then Romans 5, 8. Here's the important one, really, for you and me. Romans 5, 8. God loves sinners. While we were yet sinners, here's how God demonstrated his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How thankful are you that God loves sinners? That's what he loves, that's what we should love as well. And so here's what we need to repeat. Here's something we've said a number of times in recent days. Genuine love is going to stand with the truth. Like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. But love rejoices with the truth. Love doesn't, now hear this, because you hear it the opposite of what I'm about to say. You hear the opposite every day. True and genuine love does not necessitate acceptance or approval. You hear what I'm saying? If I love you, that does not mean I'm going to approve of every action you engage in. As a parent who so desperately to the ends of their being, to the ends of the earth, loves a child, not going to approve of every choice they make. I'm not going to approve it when they're sticking forks in toasters or forks in an electrical outlet or playing in the street, playing with a gun. You're not going to approve of those things for a little one because you love them. And that doesn't change as you get older. To truly love someone is to seek to connect them with what's true good and beautiful. It's not love to approve of that which is wicked. And he's emphasizing that here. It's often the case that our love for others is actually going to demand that we voice our disapproval. As strange as that sounds, if I truly love you, if you truly love me, there's going to be times where you tell me I've got to do something different. If you truly love me, there's going to be times where you're saying, "Part, you've got to throw the brakes on. That's not okay, the things you're saying, the places you're going. Otherwise, to indulge me in my sin is wicked. You don't love me at all. You let me just wander the path of of darkness, wander on the broad road to destruction. Genuine love helps us to have a clearer view of right and wrong. So the first question is just this, how's how's your vision? How's your heart? Because genuine love means you're going to hate what's evil and love what's good. Secondly, there's this. Genuine love means we're going to have a clearer and better understanding of even of ourselves. Look at these two verses, verse 10 and verse 16. Romans 12, verse 10, love one another with a brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. And then verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, prideful, wanting the the spotlight on yourself, but associate with, with the lowly, the overlooked, the teased, the bullied, the forgotten. Associate with the lowly. And then this. Never being wise in your own sight. Selfishness is not only ugly, but it's repulsive. Nobody wants to be around and spend time in and enjoy the company of the selfish. Selfishness is ugly and repellent, but it's also ungodly. And that's the really important part. It's not just a killjoy, it's sinful. But he says, brotherly affection. Treat each other like family. That's, that's the basic, simple way to understand it. Love each other with a brotherly affection. Treat, treat people like family. Treat the people who walk into these doors. Treat the people that you see out there. Treat them like family. Show them that you care, that you love them. And then the next thing he says, outdo each other in showing honor. This is a game with no losers. This is a game with, with, no, with no scoreboard. Outdo each other in showing honor. Do something wonderful for them, and they'll do something wonderful for you, and then just keep that game going. Nobody loses when that's the way you play. Then he says, live in harmony with all. And he says, don't be haughty, because pride always destroys. He says, don't be wise in your own sight, because similar to pride, a know-it-all ends up not being able to teach or influence anyone. And if our goal is to to bring others to Christ, the know-it-all is going to push people from Christ. So the idea here is this, less focus on self, more focus on others. Because part of the problem is this, you notice that he keeps saying, you know, show each other love and and treat each other like family and do all these wonderful things. Because here's what happens. Too often we get comfortable with our position, our place in life with the division and hostility that we've built up. We get settled in a routine with broken relationships There's this this pain and division and burned bridges all around us. And even though the fires are are burning and some smoke still smoldering and relationships have been ruined right and left, we somehow get comfortable in that. Well, this is my lot in life. I'm okay with how many bridges have been burned. I'm okay with how many relationships are broken. That's not the picture revealed here in Romans 12. Romans 12 says you're to be the kind of person that's concerned about that kind of thing. It's not okay to be okay with broken relationships. We should be looking for ways to mend fences because genuine love says, what can I do to fix this relationship? What can I do to improve this relationship? Hypocritical love says, well, I tried once 100 years ago. I'm I'm great still. Genuine love continues to try and outdo others and make this a family and do things that continue to show kindness and love and goodness. Genuine love puts others first. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 5, the Bible says, love doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful, or maybe put it this way. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love doesn't say, well, you've wronged me 27 times. I've only wronged you 23. You owe me four times of forgiveness, so I won't talk to you anymore until you've done those things for me. Can you see that there's no way in the world... That the Lord is okay with us saying something like, why don't I get more attention? Why don't more people appreciate me? What about me? I need to see myself more clearly. I need to recognize that the Lord loves me infinitely and perfectly and has blessed me to the nth degree. And so now to display genuine love and thanksgiving for that, I seek to show others kindness and love. I seek to say something like, "What can I? who can I find that needs more attention? Who deserves some praise? Who deserves some applause? Who deserves to be encouraged? Can you see others who need to be loved and appreciated? Because genuine love helps us to have a, a clearer view of ourselves and others. So how is your vision? How's, how's your heart? Then there's this. Genuine love also helps us to see and understand the pain that we go through. We know we're going to face painful times. Read these lines with me, beginning at verse 11. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Genuine love for God and for others is actually going to help us get through difficult times. I like to read those verses there, verses 11 through 13, and sort of put this heading above them. God's plan for enduring hardship. If I'm going through something that hurts me, if I'm going through something that's not me to my knees, here in these verses 11, 12, and 13, God gives us a, a, a short little crash course, a little plan for how to endure the ugliness, how to endure the, the pain. Because if I'm asking myself, what is it that I can do to make it through dark and difficult times? Well, he says there in verse 11, well, get active in the work of the kingdom. Serve the Lord. Start focusing on Him rather than on self. You want to start mending that broken heart. You want to start mending that difficult, dark time. Serve the Lord. Pour yourself into Him and His kingdom. And he goes on, verse 12. Celebrate and focus on the Christian's glorious future. Think about the hope that is yours, no matter what. A billion dollars in the bank, no bank account to even be had, you can still be saved. A million friends, all alone, just the Lord walking with you. You can walk with him right through the valley of darkness, right into heaven. The Lord has blessed you with the opportunity to be forgiven, given life, made whole, taken from dead to life. And so focus on and celebrate your glorious future that is yours because of what Jesus has done and is doing. Patiently endure hardship, recognizing that you are not singled out as unique. Patiently endure hardship, recognizing this is common to all. That's 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What you're going through, others have and are and will. It's common to man. And then this, keep on praying, keep on praying, keep on falling to your knees and sharing your hopes, sharing your pain, sharing your needs with the Lord. And then this, this is verse 13, get involved in helping others. He says, show hospitality, be someone who's who's looking to what other people are doing, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality, isn't it amazing the way that when you get involved in the lives of others, it changes your own heart, it changes your own attitude. You see it and you experience it and you feel it over and over and over again. You're whipped, you're knocked down, you're in pain, and you find someone else who is too, and you lift them up, and you walk away from that experience lifted up. The Lord says, I've got a plan for you, I've got a plan for you for getting through your dark times. You suffer, so do others. And so then he says this in verse 15. There's the two sides of the coin. Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Weeping when, with those who weep, I think, that, I think we can more easily identify with that. Now, you might have thought it was the other way, but I want you to hear me out. We can walk with others when they hurt. That's actually one of the greatest acts of kindness and Christian love we can engage in, is to walk with others when they hurt. And sadly, I don't think we often do it enough Remember in Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, those friends of Job's came. They traveled long distances and they sat there in the dust and ashes with him for a week and did him so much good. But what about on the other side? What about rejoicing with those who jo- rejoice? What about celebrating with those who win? It's often easier to be happier with those who are happy, but can we be happy without also being jealous? Genuine love doesn't compare the self to the other. Genuine love sees someone else receive a blessing and is glad about it. Because if we truly are part of one body, if we truly are just one being, one family, if when one re- is celebrating, when one has a victory, that's a victory for us. Shouldn't be cause for jealousy. Couldn't. Shouldn't be cause for envy. should be cause for celebration. And so he says, weep with those who weep because there's going to be so many who do weep. But then also rejoice with those who rejoice and celebrate with them. Because those times are going to be great and treasured and they can be something that brings you joy too if you'll allow it to. Genuine love helps us to have a clearer view of, of pain and heartache. So I wonder how our vision is and how our hearts are. That brings us to the last thing. The way we think of and deal with, with others. And specifically here we're thinking about others who make life hard on us. Before this, most likely he's been talking about interacting with other people who maybe are kind of on the same page other people who are often friendly to us often encouraging to us awful helpful to us that's that's the way we act but in this section he's saying here's how you treat those who've made it their goal to make you sad here's how you treat the people who've made it their goal to make you miserable because it's one thing i can i can celebrate with those who are super nice to me those who come and hug me and, and, and shake my hand or just encourage me, boy, it's nice. It's easy to be nice to them. But what about those who like to kick me? What about those who like to talk about me when I'm not standing with them? Right? You understand? You identify with that? The Lord says, here's how you deal with those people. Here's how you treat and think about those people. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and don't curse. Then 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Because, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Let's stop right there. How do we treat our enemies? How do we treat those who want to hurt us? In verse 14, when he says, bless those who persecute you. Bless them, don't curse them. Because doesn't it seem like the normal reaction, if somebody hurts me, if somebody persecutes me, isn't the normal human gut reaction, the knee-jerk reaction, is to call down curses on them? Lord, strike them down. I'm righteous, they're not. I'm in the right, they're in the wrong. Boy, put it to them. But the Lord says here, even for those who want to persecute us, you know what you should do? You know what I should do? Seek. Seek their good seek their good I should desire the very very best for them because he says when someone comes along and persecutes you you have now got a choice you can address the father and say God rain down fire upon them or you can address the father and say God bless them God help them God God restore them God God give them good things God give them a heart to see what's happening remember just like Jesus on the cross if ever there was a time that anyone would have been, in our eyes, justified in calling down the thunder. Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He blessed instead of cursed. And that's what the Lord calls on us to do as well. We should still want these people to repent. We should still desperately want them to obey the Lord. We should still desperately want to walk hand in hand with them to heaven. Look with me real quick. Let's flip over to the words of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5. He says something very, very similar to what Paul is writing here in Romans 12. Matthew 5, begin reading with me at verse 43. Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But this is what Jesus says. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you just love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers, if you only show kindness to those who have already first shown kindness to you, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? We're called to something higher. We're called to something greater. He says, so you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The heavenly father who loves you and in spite of your sin, still sent his son to die for you. Still sought to bless you in spite of your curses of him. And so then verse 18, he says, we must be peacemakers. As much as it depends upon you, we know that every relationship is a two-way street. We know that. And so there's going to be some times where no matter what you do, the other side won't reciprocate. But he says in Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends on you, you have to live at peace with all. It must be your mission, because he said, Jesus said Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers. He said, it must be your mission to be a peacemaker, a bridge builder, a fence mender. As much as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Now, some will choose sin, some will choose Satan, some will choose the world, and they will, in an ugly way, rebel against that. But he says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace, be a peacemaker, turn over every stone, make every attempt, go through every righteous plan. Now, ultimately, it's it's going to be God who will put all things right and will settle all accounts, but we have to seek peace and not vengeance. Because Christ, as it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, Christ suffered and died for his enemies. He sought to help and to heal, not to harm. And so let's close by thinking about this burning coals illustration. Because it may be the case that even after all these years of thinking about Scripture and studying this, that you're still like, what in the world does that mean, to heap burning coals on someone else? And how is that supposed to help? Let's read it one more time together. This is in the middle of verse 19. It says, it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So, to the contrary, meaning instead of trying to get vengeance on your neighbor, instead of trying to get vengeance on the one who hurt you, he says, This is the other side, and this is what you should do. And this is a, a quotation from Proverbs chapter 25. If your enemy's hungry, he says, Feed him. Proverbs said, If your enemy's hungry, give him bread. He says, If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Proverbs said, If he's thirsty, give him some water. Because when you do this, when you give the hungry one, some bread. When you give the thirsty one some water, this is what it says. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. And then don't overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. So here's what we know. in of all the other things, because there's all kinds of opinions, a million different things written about what this means, to heat burning coals on someone's head. Here's what we know for certain. It absolutely does not, does not mean we harm them in any kind of way. I can't kick you in order to wake you up. I can't smack you and, and cause blood to come running down your face and say, okay, now maybe you'll be righteous. Nope. Whatever I do is to help you, heal you. When he says, give the hungry some bread, the bread's not poison. When he says, give the, the thirsty some water, the water's not poison. The bread and water is going to restore them. So whatever this means, it's something good. It's something helpful that's going to lead to them being repentant. Now, one illustration that strikes me, and I, I hope that this is the truth, there's, a, there's an account that in ancient settings like this, that when there was a fight between two people, that when one person realized they were guilty, here's what they would do. They would get a pan, fill it with burning coals from the fire, and put it on their head. So I'm the one who's done wrong, and I recognize I've done wrong.